stands before us and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am it. No man comes to the Father but by me. We must either bow down and worship him or we must dismiss him as a mad lunatic. We have a faith that does not shrink back when we face suffering or pain. Our faith does not fold under those circumstances. Our faith. This book was written with the blood, sweat and tears of people who knew that following Jesus, they didn't do it because it was the easy way to life. They did it because it was true. Hey, I uh, decided I'd like to preach with a a candle lit uh, this weekend, but unfortunately I forgot to bring matches. So, the good thing is, however, (laughs) it's a beautiful thing, huh? It looks like a candle. feels like a candle. It's not a candle. It's a fake. See, the world is full of fakes, things that look real, but they're not. You can buy crab meat that has never seen the sea. You can buy furniture made of wood that has never seen a tree. That rhymes. That's kind of weird. Zirconium diamonds that are not diamonds. Fake perfumes. Handbags, watches. Recently I was confused. I was looking at a coat in a store and there was a label in the collar. It said, genuine imitation leather. (laughs) Hello? Fakes. That's what this weekend is about. It's about this couple in the early church who were faking it. The wife's name was Sapphira, which is Aramaic for beautiful. And the husband's name was Ananias, which is Hebrew for God is gracious. Beautiful and gracious. And they both end up dead. Let's have a look. Get real. Acts chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire 
to test the spirit of the Lord. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to preaching on this. (laughs) Before we say anything, let's face the fact that this is a tough passage. I don't like it. It's okay not to like it. You don't have to like it. They didn't like it. Ananias and Sapphira didn't like it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, produced 60 volumes of sermons, but there is no sermon on this passage in all of those volumes. He decided to miss that one out. I've been preaching for 40 years. Started at the age of two. Thanks for your support. Never ever before this weekend have I preached on this text. Never wanted to. One distinguished commentator says this is one of the most unnerving episodes in the New Testament. And as I've come into this weekend, I want you to know that I've come into it trembling. Trembling because I do not want in any way to undermine the sense of the awesomeness and the holiness of God. And yet at the same time not wanting in the way that I speak, to blemish anyone's comprehension or appreciation of the love and the grace of God. The responsibility is heavy. As we jump into the bulletin, the outline there, let's face the fact that this is a difficult passage. It's a difficult passage because it's not straightforward. It's not straightforward. You see... People just generally assume, don't they? Well, God killed them. (laughs) God killed them. But the text does not specifically say that. It is inferred that this was an act of judgment. Some commentators, and I need to tell you what scholarship says, some commentators would say that the pair died of psychological fright and terror because they knew of what they were doing. That is neither proved nor disproved from the text. In fact, clinically, we are not given the cause of their death. There is a strong judgmental tone. Some would say, not many, some would say that Satan killed these two because they had opened their hearts to the devil, Peter said, and the devil is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What we do know is that they died and that fear... Phobos megas in the Greek, megaphobia, not panic, but reverence and awe, came upon the church, came upon the community. Luke is big into reverence and awe. Eleven times in Luke's gospel, he records a response of awe to the supernatural, four times in the book of Acts. We also know, don't we, that Peter told Sapphira, What was about to happen? And and then there's a sense of judgment in the way that the funeral was conducted because they carried the guy out and buried him immediately and then came back three hours later. You did that with criminals. 
But there are still problems, aren't there? Uh, For example, Ananias was not given an opportunity to repent before he was struck down. And uh, not only that, um, there are pastoral problems because the apostles did not have the courtesy to inform his wife not only that her husband was dead, but that the funeral had already taken place. Awkward. Not a shining example of great pastoral care. It's difficult. It's difficult as well. It's a difficult passage. And this passage is not about giving. If any preacher ever says, if you don't give, God's going to kill you. Close your ears. Because that is not what this text is saying. This is not about giving. It's about stealing and lying. You see, the Greek word that Dr. Luke uses here to describe what this couple did is a word that means to purloin, to pilfer, to embezzle. It would appear that they had previously entered into a contract with the church and had designated funds which effectively, in the eyes of the community, had become the property of the church. And now they are lying about what they need to give. They lie to the Spirit. It's not about giving, it's about lying and stealing. And then, it's not emphatically stated that this is about believers, although obviously it's implied. It is possible that these two saw a flourishing community and wanted to buy the respect that Barnabas was enjoying, but it would appear that they were believers. Is it possible that Luke is telling us that this new community is a chosen people? Let me show you something. At the beginning of Israel, there was an episode when a man called Achan kept some of the spoils for himself and he died. It happens at the beginning of Israel's history. Now at the beginning of the church's history, and this is the very first time that Dr. Luke uses the word church in the book of Acts. That's kind of weird, isn't it? People are dying and suddenly starts talking about church. Just as Achan was part of the beginning of Israel... Now Ananias and Sapphira are part of the new chosen people, that is the church. Is it possible that Luke is signalling that to us and also telling us that this is a holy people? That this is a people who are acting as the new temple of God. Remember in the Old Testament, there was caution about going into the holy of holies. Don't touch the ark, you could die. And now Luke is letting us know, this is no ordinary community. This is a chosen community. This is a holy community with the holy God in their midst. Let me tell you something which I hope you'll be relieved by. This dropping dead thing was not normative. Thank God for that. How many know that if every Christian who lied died, attendance would drop at Timberline and there would be a few vacancies on the pastoral staff. It's been said that if God always acted this way, if he did do this, that every church should have a mortuary on the premises, and a mortician on the staff. And here's a problem. Peter lied. Peter didn't lie about an offering. Peter lied about knowing Jesus. And he became an apostle. 
It's a challenging passage. When all is said and done, there's no comfortable solution to it. It's a unique story. There's nothing like it elsewhere in Acts or, for that matter, in the New Testament. And I want to say this. It's really important. If this is judgment, I want you to notice that if this is judgment, God didn't judge the Sadducees who threatened the apostles. He judged the church. See, sometimes the church is really good at ranting at the world. This is how you're supposed to live. Straighten up. Whereas God, if this is judgment, visits the church first. Because he doesn't expect us to just rant at the world. He expects us to demonstrate that which we know as we model how to live. It's a challenging story. So let's, let's jump in. Are you there? Check your pulse. Number one. There's an example of authentic goodness here. An example of authentic goodness. Barnabas. Barnabas. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I love this guy. He is so good and wonderful and encouraging that they have to change his name to reflect his character. I've been thinking about that this week. If I had my name changed according to my primary characteristic, what might it be? I can hear someone saying, ugly. Oh, bless your hearts. Thank you for that wave of caring, compassion and sympathy. I was about to say, but probably I shouldn't now, but I think I will anyway. Husbands, perhaps you should say to your wife this week, What name would you like to call me by? (laughs) Yeah, it was never a good idea. Don't bother with that one. Why do I love Barnabas? I love Barnabas because in the midst of all of this supernatural stuff, Holy Spirit, healings, demons screaming, Barnabas lives the ordinary beautifully. I'm sorry, the Lego movie got it wrong. Everything isn't awesome. I had pepperoni pizza recently. The server said, awesome choice. It was good. It was calorific. Awesome, it was not. The Christian life isn't awesome every day. But Barnabas stepped up, generous, good, encouraging, kind, believing the best. He's an example of great goodness. Some years ago, I went to preach at a church in Salt Lake City. I couldn't think, about, I couldn't think of what to preach about. Kept praying, kept thinking, kept suggesting to the Lord sermons that I'd already got that he would surely use and find helpful. And on the plane, I felt like God said to me, I want you to talk about stepping up to the plate. And I'm like, what? Step up to the plate. It's a baseball term, right? Baseball? How many baseball fans have we got here? Raise your hand. Bless your hearts. I've really tried to be interested in it, but I can't cope with all those statistics. The guy who is batting, do they bat? Is that what they do? The guy who is batting has had eggs over easy for breakfast 637.2 times. Who cares? 
I can assuredly tell you that when I ever I try and watch it, 99.9% of the time I am confused and bored. There's a statistic for you. <laughs> Step up to the plate. I thought, I can't say that. They're flying me to Salt Lake City to preach. Step up to the plate. Yeah, anything else? So I didn't. I preached one of my sermons. And we had a good morning and people came to Jesus and it was a good time. And then I went out for lunch with the pastor. And I said, how's the church going? And he said, well, it's good. He said, we're starting a brand new sermon series this weekend. He said, we, we're really excited about it. We want to see more volunteers in the church. We feel like God has given this to us. I said, great, what's the series called? And he said, step up to the plate. And I felt like I heard a voice from heaven going, Duh! First of all, let's see, there's a beautiful example of a man stepping up to the plate and voluntarily giving of himself. What's our legacy? What a legacy. What a wonderful contribution. What's our legacy? Secondly, let's rush to say that Scripture tells us the truth about the early church. Scripture tells us the truth about the early church. It was far from perfect. Luke, the historian, included this story. There's no airbrushing of the awkwardness of it, of the deception. Luke wants us to know this is not a bunch of grinaholic, glow-in-the-dark, fluorescent, halo-wearing people. This is a group of people and there's, there's some sin around. Sometimes I hear people say, I wish we could just get back to the days of the early church. Then we'd see the power. As if the early church was perfect. Let me tell you something. They had, in the New Testament, they had to write to the early church to tell them that it was not a good idea to get drunk during communion. (laughs) Why, we ask ourselves, did they have to say, please don't get drunk during communion? I've wrestled with this. And I feel I have an answer which is really deep. So brace yourself for the revelation. It is because some of them were getting drunk during communion. It was a mess. Can I say this without excusing anything? Let's be realistic about church. Next time someone irritates you, offends you, Don't cry out in horror and surprise. You see, we have sinners coming to Timberline Church. The news is just in. They're even on the platform. Everything is broken. Me, you, Timberlines, all broken. All under construction. Don't be surprised and bewildered and disappointed. We don't want to disappoint each other, but the Bible gives us a realistic picture of church. Don't, when, the first time someone makes you mad around here, don't go on church safari and don't, don't go find the perfect church because if you find it, find it and join it, you'll ruin it. <laughs> Can't believe I just said that. It's a realistic portrait. Thirdly, let's know that the sin of hypocrisy threatens the church's witness. The sin of hypocrisy threatens the church's witness both then and now. 
Jesus grew up in an area of Galilee and near where he grew up, they found the remains of a theatre where plays were performed. And we know from history that there was a theatrical group that used to perform there. They used masks to perform their plays. They were known as the Hippocrates. So Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, borrows the name of the drama group, the Hippocrates, and he uses it to roundly condemn hypocrisy. The Pharisees who were strutting around, showing their piety. In England, in our car parks, in our parking lots, we have machines where you can buy a ticket, then you display your ticket in your windscreen, your windshield. It's called pay and display. The Pharisees were guilty of pray and display. And it's always threatened the church. By the way, don't be too bewildered by those people who look at Christians and say, yeah, you're all a bunch of hypocrites. That's unfair. We're the people who have admitted that we are sinners. We're the people who've admitted that we have not arrived, that we need Jesus. But hypocrisy has always threatened the church's witness. And fourthly, it's usually rooted in pride, greed, and expressed in deception. So easy to fall into it. Okay, it's confession time again. I don't know why this is, but week after week I get up here And I tell you these embarrassing things about myself. And then you look like you're enjoying it. (laughs) When I first got started in ministry, we church planted, my wife and I. I was 22, 21. She was 18. We were senior pastors. (laughs) We started a church with six people that became 12, that became 60, that became a couple of hundred. We planted another couple of churches. But I'd never spoken to a large group of people before, never preached to a large group beyond 60. And I got invited to speak at this conference and there were 5,000 people there. People say to me, do you get nervous? Yeah. It went really good. Really good. The next morning, I'm walking around the conference center. People are nudging each other. They're saying, it's him. It's the guy that was speaking last night. And I noticed that I was being noticed. (laughs) And I found myself walking a little slower. And then I went over to the bookstore, and I'd written a book, and people were lining up to buy my book. (gasps) Awesome! And then they, had, they were selling recordings of last night's message on cassette. Does anyone remember the antique technology known as a cassette? It will never return. Although vinyl has. But that's not important right now. Somebody rushed up to me and said, Would you like to sign my book? And I went, Oh, no, 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 no. Yes! Nothing wrong with signing a book, but I signed it with flourish. 
And I got back to my room. Looking back on it, I imagine that God probably said to a junior angel, grease his ears that he might be able to get through that door. And I felt like God spoke to me and said, famous for 24 hours, are we? Why do I tell you? I don't, I don't want to tell you that. It's because it's so easy. It's so easy to slip into that pride. And that leads me to the last thing. All of us should beware. All of us should beware because there's a snake in the grass how many of you are like me, you hate snakes? I hate them. Some of you don't even want me to talk about it right now. You're going, don't talk about it. By the way, before I go on to just saying this fifth point, would you back up with me for a moment? I don't want you to think, when I'm talking about this pride stuff, that doesn't mean you should never encourage the preacher, Okay. People come up to me, I'm sure Pastor Darry gets it, other people, they'll come and say, I'd like to encourage you, but I don't want you to get proud. And you ever been up to those pastors and you say, thanks for the message, and they go, no, 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 no. It's him, it's him. It's not me, it's him. Lady went up to her pastor, she said, great message this morning. He said, no, 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 it's him. She said, well, actually, it wasn't that good. So don't be afraid to encourage. What about this snake thing? Recently, my wife closed the garage door and a snake got caught in the door and was wiggling around. And God is so good because I was out of town. <laughs> so she started calling the neighbors and they came over and helped her. And she knows that even if I'm in town, call the neighbors. <laughs> hate snakes. There's a snake in the grass. Satan has filled your heart, Peter says. We all need to watch out for this stuff. Let me tell you one last story which is so embarrassing. When I became a Christian, the people at our church used to say stuff like, Praise the Lord! Amen! Hallelujah! I'm 17. I never said stuff like that, and I really wanted to fit in. So here's what I did. I locked myself in my bedroom. I stood in front of the mirror, and I practiced how to say praise the Lord in front of the mirror. Here's what you do. You tilt your head slightly to the left. A faraway heavenly look comes into your eyes. You're saying, that's not faraway heavenly, that's confused. They're the same look. And then 
you say, while shaking your head ever so slightly to give a sense of gravity to the statement, you say, praise the Lord. <laughs> Come on, let's give it a go, shall we? Let's give it a go. <laughs> head to the left, to the left. The left. Far away look, far away look, far away look. Oh, very, very good. And then after three, one, two, three. Three. You've been practicing too, haven't you? Was it outright hypocrisy now? I was just trying to fit in. But, that's have an end. to the fakery and get real what are we going to do now I'll tell you what we're going to do now no more embarrassing stories for this week come back next week I'll be working on them through the week what are we going to do now Well, as Christians, I think we need to ask God to not just speak to us now, but to show us this week. Search my heart, God. Where where am I faking it? Is there hypocrisy in me? But I want you to know that in the next few minutes, there's going to be an opportunity for people to become Christians. Here's the wild, crazy thing. Here's this message on a couple of people dropping dead. And throughout this weekend, in it, we've been having people come to know Jesus. So here's the thing. If you are not a Christian, maybe Timberline is like country club with stained glass, except we haven't got any stained glass. You know, it's like the place to go on Sundays, respectable citizen, good for networking. Or maybe Timberline is... Well, my parents go, so I go along and sing along. And now it's time for you to connect and decide. Maybe you come with your spouse because it's, it keeps the peace. And you hear all the stuff and the songs. And today, it's time to lock in to God's purposes for your life. And take this seriously. It may also be that you are already a follower of Jesus. But you know you're a long way off. And it's not just that you could do a little better. You're living two lives. And it's time. In a few seconds I'm going to pray a prayer. If you are not a Christian and you want to be, this is you signaling to God that you want to be a follower of Christ. And if you're you're already a Christian, you can use this prayer. It's not that you're becoming a Christian again, but you're using this prayer as a way of coming back to Him. So, are we ready? Let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, just as you worked mightily in the church fragile and flawed though it was in the book of Acts so you are still working so do your work
please. Around this building, hearts are beating a little faster. Because you know this is the time. So here comes the prayer. Are you ready? I'm going to invite you to just pray this in your heart. Lord Jesus, I really want you now. Not just to bless me in this moment, but to take charge in my life. This is the moment, Lord. It's me and it's you always, forever. I come to you. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb that says I can now be connected forever with you as your friend and follower. I thank you, Lord, because you, I believe by faith, are hearing my prayer. This is a massive moment, Lord, and I thank you for it. Would you keep your heads bowed? If you just prayed that prayer because you are becoming a Christian, if you just prayed that prayer because you're coming back from a completely double life, as I'm looking around the building right now, I want to ask you to lift up your hand and hold it there for a few seconds. Do it now. If you just did that, hold it there and then put it down again. And all around the building, people are doing that right, right now. God bless you for doing that. Can I ask you to do something else? I'm the one looking around here. Can you hold up those hands one more time and then just wave a little so I can, so I can see them? Thank God. So we pray. You can put your hands down. We pray for everyone who is responding to you. May the seed of your word bear good fruit. We agree together. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen.